Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. I am your boy Buzz, and I am joined by my dude Johnny Nani and NWI Steve, and we are here for our Socks on Tap season reflection episode. Before we get into it, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at Socks on Tap, at Ontap Sportsnet, and anywhere you can find podcasts, you can listen to us. So be sure to give us a five star rating and review because that shit is cool and tough. Nani, Steve. Oh, okay. You know what? That wasn't as fun as a pop in the top there. And I know people didn't see that. I know you have video recording, but I'm really let down that this twist off Miller Lite did not give me the satisfaction. A pop top would. Wow, that really upset me. Guys, how you doing? Uh, Nani, we'll start with you. How you doing, bud? Yeah, Buzz, that was, that was a little weak. I was expecting at least like a crack of the seams on the top. You know how it like kind of like attached to the little like ring that's there. I was there we go. Yeah, like yeah. that. That's that's what I was waiting for. But yeah, I just cracked my bush light, so I'm good. No, Buzz, I'm good. Um, last time I was on here talking White Sox was after Game Two. Um, so still, you're still alive then after game two of the wild card series. So no, you guys all took the game three. I, I just couldn't. And, um, I had to wait a little bit. I told you guys, I need to collect my thoughts and that's why we wait. Um, you're wondering, you know, we could call the season recap easily, but we're not just running down exactly what happened. We need to reflect on it, take a little time, let it digest. So, um, I look forward to it every year. Um, always takes a little bit though, uh, to build up what I want to say, buzz. So, uh, I'm good. I got all those thoughts ready to, uh, unleash here, but, uh, Steve, how you doing, man? Hey, yo fellas. I'm doing very well. It's, uh, certainly been an interesting couple of weeks here in white Sox land and, you know, by all indications, it looks like the next couple of weeks could be very interesting as well. So, you know, it's it's definitely good to get uh, get together with you guys again here, have a little have a little powwow, kind of talk about things, and like you said, Johnny, kind of put a bow on on all of this. I know we've all got a lot of thoughts on uh, what we what we saw and what we experienced this year. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's been. I mean, I. It, the droughts on the mic sometimes um, are, are sad during the off season. You know, we usually do Sunday fun days and stuff like that. The season's still going on right now. And I, Steve, I know you and Tony did that uh, pop-up episode after Ricky Rents and uh, Don Cooper were let go. But we have not been together since the season ended and all that uh, depressing crap kind of happened. But on to brighter days. Nani, lead us into this shit, man. What, what are we talking about today? For sure. We're going to start uh, news real quick. Uh, news read that we always do at the beginning here. Um, today, it was announced uh, Rawlings Gold Glove finalists. Uh, so not the actual awards, but the finalists. Uh, you know, usually three. A couple of them were tied, so they had four um, finalists. But five White Sox uh, are finalists. Robert in center field, Yohan Mankata at third, Danny Mendick at second, which is kind of weird. Uh, didn't seem like he played there a whole lot, but he was good enough while he was there to get that. Um, and then Grandal and both McCann uh, at catcher spot. So thought that was pretty interesting. And then... Um, in the 2020 Players' Choice Awards, uh, Jose Abreu named AL Outstanding Player. Uh, this is like the third, you know, kind of recognition that he's got as like the most outstanding player. He got, uh, he's the White Sox finalist for the Hank Aaron Award, and uh, then he was named Sporting News's um, uh, Player of the Year, 2020 Player of the Year for their awards that they do. So it's, you know, all signs are pointing towards Jose Abreu MVP. So I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that before we jump into the season reflection. 28 games, Johnny. 28 games for Danny Mendick over there at second base. Um, so kind of surprising. He didn't even play half the season of a 60 game season, right? He didn't even play half um, over there at second base, but he must've been damn good. Like you said, he was, he was damn good over there, um, which is pretty cool. It's nice to see him as a finalist 
And then what you just uh, built, piggybacking off of what you just said, Jose Abreu is going to be the fucking MVP, Johnny. It's going to happen. Super cool and tough. Yeah, just a matter of time. Yeah, so my interesting takeaway from the Gold Glove nominees was Yasmani Grandal being nominated at the catcher spot. And look, Johnny, you know, you and I were both Grandal guys. I just, I thought it was fascinating to see both of the Sox catchers um, being nominated here. So I'm sure the, um, the chorus of, of people clamoring that, you know, James McCann has to get paid at all costs are going to be even louder now. But um, the very fact that Grandal was able to be nominated really solely based on his framing alone because he had some issues catching the baseball. So I, I found it um, fascinating is the word I will use to see him nominated in this instance. And uh, like both of you guys said, man, MVP though, baby, it's going down. Absolutely. Um, one more thing before we move on to the season stuff, Nani, I'm so sorry, but quick question here, guys, is Nick Madrigal expendable now because Danny Medic is finals for a gold glove. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Move on. Oh, we got, just... Hey, we got Yomer Sanchez in the mix too. So of course he is. <laughs> you get the minor league contract. <laughs> that, that, Danny... That, if Danny wins it, that's two gold glovers at second base, man. Get the hell out of here, man. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we don't need Nick Madrigal. Okay. Danny Mendick okay. is a fucking gold glove. Oh, no, no. Okay. Danny Mendick okay, is a gold glove second baseman. Okay. And his backup okay, will be Yomer Sanchez after he proves himself in Charlotte on a minor league deal. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we're already at this level. I love it, guys. Uh, we are in for a fun one today. Yeah, I don't really have any concluding thoughts. Uh, yeah, yeah, just Steve, uh, any any recognition that Yasmany yeah, Grandel gets, I love it. Um, but just goes to show you, uh, I know you had said, uh, obviously, the issues with uh, basically getting, uh, you know, trying to catch the ball and then tag people out at home. That's where some issues came in, and it was just was the only improvement that we could say catch the fucking ball um that's about all we had for him at that time but it just goes to show you um how valuable he is behind the plate because you go and look at the uh, metrics there he's still one of the you know tied for like you wrote in your article steve the most valuable overall catcher in baseball according to f4 and then uh is defensive just by framing alone um the, those numbers are still outstanding obviously enough to be a gold glove finalist so definitely interesting there um i say let's do it let's get into the season reflection guys Opening thoughts here. Uh, give the floor to whoever wants it. Um, just kind of general spewing um, of, you know, after, you know, taking all this in for a couple of weeks now since the White Sox have been eliminated. Um, your overall thoughts, then obviously we're going to break it down kind of segmented here after that. But uh, someone fire away. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve, man. You lead, you lead it off. You've been killing it with the articles and stuff, man. Lead this lead this one off. Set the tone. Set the tone. You, wait, you wait, wait, that, right? wait a minute. Wait a minute, the guy that's got 10,000 page views in the last, like, 24 hours is sitting there talking about somebody else killing it with, with articles lately, but I'll, 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 I'll take the floor here. I certainly will. Um, you know, this season was, I think, interesting in a number of different regards. You know, I think that going into the season, having brought in Diamond Dallas Keuchel, Yasmani Grandal, Encarnacion, 
and, and some of the other players that they brought in, I think it's signaled that, look, we think we're close to this window starting to break open and that if things go right, we can be a playoff team. You know, ultimately they did that even with the expanded playoff format. You know, they still had the fifth best record in the American League. So if if we had the original playoff format, they still would have been in. There were certainly a number of different highs and lows with it. I mean, the, the 10 and 11 start was was extremely frustrating, especially those first couple of weeks of the season against Minnesota and Cleveland, um, not not scoring runs and, and just not executing, not playing fundamentally sound baseball. And really just, it kind of got you thinking it's more of the same here. I know when Tony and I, you know, sat and watched that doubleheader against the Cardinals um, or, or I'm sorry, the Saturday afternoon game against, against the Indians in, in the garage. I mean, we both were just like, it's more of the same White Sox here. And that was the infamous Drew Anderson game, you know, so you go from that and then you go on that tremendous hot streak when they're just beating on all the little piss ants out there um, and, and just watching them just club people to death. I mean, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was, it was bombs over Bridgeport baby. And, and it was cool and tough, you know, seeing all those dingers out there. And then, you know, you, you put yourself in a position, you clinch that playoff spot, and then you got a week left to go in the season, 10 days left, and you're in a chance in a position to win the division. And then you just, you know, shit yourself for lack of a better term there. And that was really frustrating. Um, you know, we saw a number of guys, you know, have upward progressions with their developments like Eloy, um, you know, Lucas Giolito continuing, and then some of the bullpen pieces coming in there. And then you have low points like, you know, uh, Luis Robert with his rough stretch during the month of September, Yoan Moncada having his issues coming back from COVID and, um, you know, hitting up the girls on Tinder, you know, all you know, kind of <laughs> at the same time, just, you know, it was a confluence of, of different events that, that just, you know, dragged his overall season down. Um, but, you know, overall, man, I mean, I think this, this season really showed that this team is ready to start competing here and they're ready ultimately to take that next step. If ownership does the right things. And if, if Rick Hine and Kenny Williams execute the right moves here this winter, I mean, this team can be dangerous next year. Absolutely, man. So I guess where I stand in, in my season reflection is, uh, you know, going into the season, obviously, we we were all hyped. One reason we were hyped is because they did make some moves that were definitely intriguing. And they made some moves that, you know, like you said, Steve, Keuchel, Yasmani, EE, you know, we made these moves that were like, okay, they're gonna try to fuck around and do something here, right? And then obviously, the COVID delayed start, we were even more hyped up. So when the 10 and 11 White Sox arrived, like you said with Tony, it was more of the same. Um, basically, my season reflection on everything is is I, I try not to relate the two because they're completely different. But I look at a young team within the NBA, and I, I, I see them come together, and they, they'll go on a stretch run, right? You know, they'll start winning some ball games, They'll start, you know, making some noise. And it was really cool to see that kind of in baseball, this young team with a couple veterans here and there, way more everybody, everybody wasn't young. But with a couple veterans here and there, like, make noises, man. After 10-11 start, they go on a seven-game win streak. They start whipping ass. They're beating the teams that they should beat. And this is something that we said across pretty much every episode under the scrutiny that the White Sox were getting were, oh, well, who did they play? They played Pittsburgh. They played Kansas City. They played Detroit. It's like, yeah, I get it. But good teams win those games. And that's what they did. Um, So I guess where I look at where I sit with the season reflection, I, I sit that I'm impressed. And I sit where I'm happy, but 
I know much more needs to be done. A lot more needs to be addressed. And we found that out the hard way. When Dallas Keuchel didn't have a good game in the playoffs, we didn't have anybody to pick him up. It was Dane Dunning. And that is nothing. We're not taking anything away. Steve, you and I did the Dane Dunning game together, I believe, after he had against Minnesota. That was you and I. And that game was, I mean, we were over the moon, right? But we both did have questions together on and off mic. Is, I mean, yes, he was good, but is he? should he be the third guy? Because Dylan Cease is still having his struggles. So obviously the pitching needs to be addressed. We know this. I mean, this, this, this isn't hard. Right field, if I see no more Mazzara, I'm not fucking around, guys. If I see no more Mazzara back there, I'm be pissed. And if I see a fucking press release that we really believe in Adam Engel, he was just, you know, he hit the ball. He's a great fielder. I don't want to see that either. He was a better option than Nomar Mazzara for sure, but he's not a right fielder on a team who's going to win a World Series. And I and I'm, I'm saying that he's he's a he's a bench piece. He's a he's a good piece to have there, but not as a starter. So again, definitely impressed with with the season and how it went. It was a heartbreaker when we lost because you're you know where my heart on my sleeve, expectations go up, and I'm riding with the team and just hoping that something. You know, the good juju brings some wins. It didn't happen, but I am excited for the future to piggyback off of you once again, Steve, if ownership decides to spend. And I have a theory, you know, like Jerry Reinsdorf's like, what, 82 or something? Like, homie 84. Gonna, 84. So he's going to, like, you know, no, I mean, I hope he lives. You know, I don't want anybody to get, fucking die or anything. We get croak soon probably, man. We He's going to have, he wants to see another World Series here. You know, so I think he opens up that checkbook and he's like, all right, let's bring in. You know, actually, if you want to see who the Sox could possibly bring in, please check out Steve's article over at OnSapSportsNet.com. He's got two of them. Plug! You know, he could bring somebody in over there, you know, uh, that article that you uh, wrote, Steve, or, you know, and he could spend for some pitching. So I'm hoping he does something like that. But I'm very happy with the season. It uh, Basically, after they went on their winning streak and they were kicking ass, Nani, I think you might be able to agree with this. This was a lot of 2019 first half of the season socks on taps consistently because we were winning games we were like i know we were two games below 500 but we were fucking excited because we thought we were gonna suck so you know those are the vibes uh that i have right now and one more thing before i throw it to you nani is i thought that mr Mackey impression was really good i don't know if that's because i'm buzzed up but i thought that was pretty decent oh yeah Okay. Okay. I, I just wanted I wanted a rating from you because usually you oh, and I do absolutely that, that, that yeah. that'd be like uh what like eight and a half in Ks on the yeah. scale there yeah okay cool that's what was yeah. cool. I'm glad I'm glad to hear it yeah so, absolutely when you're I'll talking about medic for sure <laughs> so yeah so let's uh roller coaster is a first word that comes to mind man uh the the first stretch like you guys mentioned over those first 21 games that was a uh, definition of that so White Sox. Really, uh, it was. And, um, you know, w- when they got hot, that was the highest of highs. I mean, that, it, first of all, it's been a while since we've experienced success um, and consistent winning baseball. So it was a lot of fun. And it was great getting on uh, shows after we were really pumped up and excited uh, to jump on after most of those. And obviously you had the few here in here and there where there were mistakes made and games uh, cost because of it. But on the overall, that, that middle part of the season from uh, mid-August through mid-September was just as fun as it could get. Really, um, that, that was the high of the roller coaster, and it came crashing down. It uh, went real low. I think we went uh, be- below the ground, actually, at one point, um, especially in the Cleveland series. And that just crushed me. It really did. Um, it, with my term, I didn't follow my own advice, never get up for the letdown, um, because I was just too excited and uh, too, you know, um, I don't know. I, I guess the word that I was uh, 
you know, kind of false belief in it. But I mean, there is stuff to believe in. And I'm not taking anything away from, you know, the improvements that were made on the overall. But still, in the moment when we're talking about um, what they need to do and the chance to clinch a division and then um, letting a team like the Indians back into it and almost, you know, give them a chance to go and win that thing, um, that, that was crushing. And then even the uh, series against the Cubs, the last one of the year, super embarrassing on that Friday night, throwing at uh, Contreras after he bat flipped on you and, uh, then uh, I know they won the Saturday game, and that was nice. We were all uh, a good amount of the on-tap guys were together for that. But even the Sunday one, uh, I turned that one off early. I was disgusted, so I didn't even see the late rally, the late surge in that. I because I think a couple of the other guys were on the show that day. So I, since I wasn't on it, I literally just turned it off, and I was like, all right, just start fresh. I need the playoffs. Like I can't even handle this shit. So um, highs and lows is the biggest thing for me. Obviously, we'll get into some of these segments that they had in there. But overall, then, uh, when I take a step back and look at it and look at my expectations before and where they finished, um, I'm definitely encouraged, but I'm not satisfied, uh, if that makes sense. You know, you know, Johnny, one other thing that uh, that I forgot to touch on here and, you know, I was talking about this to a number of different people during the course of the season. You know, I think especially early on during that 10 and 11 stretch was, you know, games that they would lose like the, the Sunday night game against the Indians when when. You know, Evan Marshall had his first real bad game, you know, and kind of coughed one up and, and they lost that game. I was telling somebody, I think I might have been telling my girlfriend that I had forgot what it felt like to go to bed pissed off about the Sox losing an important winnable game. And so to actually have that feeling back again where you're as a fan, you're upset because they let one get away that mattered like in a lot of ways, that kind of was symbolic of, okay, we've turned the corner here now, and, and you know, the measuring stick around here has changed. 100%, Steve. I think it's a very good point, and I was the same way. Uh, it had been a while since it really meant something that you were – I mean, I would still be – don't get me wrong, in the past year – I'd still be pissed after dumb losses, but you kind of knew that it was par for the course uh, where they were at in the rebuild. Uh, but now, like you had said, having it be meaningful. Um, and then I think it meant a little extra in 2022, just because of obviously uh, the pandemic situation that's going on. Um, and with people being, you know, locked in for so long, uh, it's nice to like feel something, even if it is anger or, or uh, you know, kind of disgust at times. Uh, it was nice to feel something. I will say that, especially think about that dry spell with no sports for uh, however, you know, what was it like, two and a half months at least until uh, we got some sort of one of the major sports back. So um, I definitely agree with you there. Um, if you guys don't have anything else, I think we can start breaking this down into segments. Um, we talked about the Rocky start um, two and four in that first uh, little stretch there versus Minnesota and Cleveland. And we thought, you know, that's so White Sox, more of the same, Steve, uh, the point that you and Tony had made when you were watching it together. Um, so I, I wrote a bullet point in here and I said, woes versus top division teams that would never be completely resolved. I know we had that series later in the year and we'll get to that. Uh, the one that they clinched in and took three or four from Minnesota. When you look at how they fared against the Indians, um, and I know maybe not that whole uh, sort of, team is going to be back but for the most part that was never exercised so um i thought it was interesting and uh kind of a precursor of things to come really when you look at that as a microcosm of how they uh performed against the team and you saw it early uh excuse me performed against the top teams you saw it all early um which was kind of uh one thing that was disappointing for me i don't know about you guys yeah it it, it definitely was and look you know i'm someone that um if you follow me or, or if you know me at all, you know my 
hatred for the Minnesota Twins and the Cleveland Indians. It's it's very slight, very subtle, you know. So those losses are ones that they sting a lot more than if it's a loss to, you know, St. Louis or to Milwaukee. So, you know, when they have those bad series and when they just don't play well against Cleveland and, and against Minnesota, it just – it sucks. Like those losses are the absolute worst. And they did – like you did – mentioned Johnny they got a little bit of redemption against Minnesota there that series in September but they never put it together against Cleveland at all this year I mean they went three and seven against them this year and I mean that's really you know right there you go five and five right there you win two more games you win the division yeah that (laughs) I hate losing to Cleveland man I know you I think you hate Minnesota more Steve than uh, I hate Cleveland more I don't know why I hate Cleveland more. It's probably like got some LeBron James ties to it or something like that. I I, I don't know. But no, when they played the better teams and they struggled, yeah, that was definitely concerning for sure. I just thought that it would all come together with, with building confidence of beating the teams that you should and, you know, the guys performing. It just didn't kind of pan out that way. Um, but I don't know. I think with a year of experience and I think with, you know, hopefully adding some better talent that uh, that narrative has changed next year, hopefully. Yeah, um, and I just want to sprinkle in a few socks on tap moments as we're running through the season as well. Um, that first game of the year, uh, we had a big group uh, out at Tony's place. And uh, I remember, you know, the first inning against Minnesota was brutal. Uh, and we were all down in the dumps. And obviously, we know that game turned out. But I loved when Moncada hit the home run uh, to kind of put us back in it. Tony gets the bottle rocket out and he's like lighting it off in his driveway. And, you know, fireworks are fucking cool and tough. And uh, so I just got to remember some of those moments too, because it kind of, uh, uh, it helps me digest the losses a little bit better. It's like, okay, at least remember I had fun with that, and I have a good video of Tony doing that. So sure, that will be utilized multiple times next year uh, when the White Sox are hitting home runs and hopefully lighting off fireworks too. That's another thing. Um, tinfoil hat time a early here. Uh, part of that, you know, um, early bow out and uh, maybe a little bit underachieving uh, after we knew what they were capable of, uh, I'm going to go ahead and pin it on them not lighting off fireworks because we saw other teams do it. Hell, the Pittsburgh Pirates did it. Um, I know they walked us off one time. So um, the, getting a little sidetracked here, but let's move on to the turning point. Um, guys, it was a fun one. Back to back to back to back home runs in that Sunday game against the Cardinals. That was August 16th. Uh, they were 10 and 11 coming into that, like we talked about. And I think everyone agrees that this was a turning point. Um, and it was especially after when you think about the context of just, you know, very small in that series, the Cardinals have been off for what, like two plus weeks before that. And then they came back from COVID and they kicked their dicks in the first two games of that, uh, double hotter that happened on Saturday. So it, it was imperative that they bounced back on Sunday. Absolutely. That was a huge game for the Sox. Um, <laughs> The back-to-back home runs was, I think, one of the coolest and toughest moments of the season besides what we're probably all going to talk about here very soon, which would be Lucas Giolito's no-hitter. But it was absolutely awesome to see them pull that off. That that game signaled the comeback and the redemption of that squad where they were not going to go down easy, they were not going to die easy. That was a fucking cool game, man. I... Unfortunately, I didn't get to be with you guys for a lot of games this year because we had, you know, I had the new baby and stuff and you had to be careful with all the COVID stuff and whatnot. But that was probably my second favorite game of the year with the back to back to back to back jacks, man. That shit was cool and tough. You know, the fun, the funny thing about that moment is and I, I remember they were showing this graphic. I think it was maybe the next day when it happened. 
it was two days shy of the 12 year anniversary of when they did that in 2008 against the Royals. I mean, almost to the day. I mean, like that is just so preposterous to even think about. They're the only team that has hit four consecutive home runs multiple times and to almost do it to the day. I mean, like you can't make this shit up. It's just crazy. Yeah, it was it was super cool. I mean, because Mankata was, you know, he was batting around like two, God, like two fifty five to two sixty at the time. It was before he took that like that major dip that he had in the batting average. And you know, obviously we saw how he he was laboring a little bit here and there. But correct me if I'm wrong. It was Mankata, Grandal, Jose, Brilliant. and Eloy, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 It was just fucking awesome, man. What I mean, what a great game that was. Sox ended up winning that one. I believe it was like. They had seven runs, I think. It was like seven, right? They had seven runs. I'm going to look it up real quick so I don't sound like an asshole. It was seven to two. I got it. Seven to two. Yeah. So definitely a cool game. Um, definitely a turning point in the season, too, because I think a lot of young guys built confidence off that because, you know, they weren't playing well, and they were back to 500 after that win at 11 and 11. Yeah, yeah absolutely, guys. I mean, home runs are cool and tough. Um, the only thing that can make it better is if they if they lit off fireworks. Um, what's a saying that has been going around? I think we've used it a little bit, but I've seen it, you know, uh, other places, other uh, bloggers and uh, podcasters. Uh, ball go far, team go far. Makes sense. Uh, and you talk about uh, one of the only, you know, the only team ever to do it um, multiple times, uh, Steve. I think that also, um, you know, with this, obviously with, within the season, a turning point, but within the grand scheme of things in the White Sox competitive window, tells you a lot about how they're going to get things done offensively, a lot of the long ball. So um, I think we need, you can take a greater theme out of that than just this year. But uh, let's move on to what that started. Uh, a- after that, you know, that win kicked off a seven-game winning streak. So this is the boom section of the season, August 16th through September 17th. Um, they absolutely murdered the Cubs uh, in that weekend series, at least for the two games. I know the third game uh, was a close one. I think it was like a low scoring, like two-to-one game or something that they lost in the finale. But absolutely awesome to see Jose Abreu really pretty much solidify himself that, hey, this, this MVP thing, it's not just talk. It's going to happen. It's going to come to fruition uh, with how many bombs he hit there, uh, three in one game, and then uh, one, obviously, on that Sunday game as well. Um, you had Grandal hitting some bombs. Uh, you had uh, Luis Robert absolutely destroying one, sending it over the bleachers. Um, th- that was just a fun series. And, of course, because it was against the Cubs, guys. Um, uh, other than that, we had the Giolito no-hitter in there. We did, you know, two episodes that night. Uh, you know, me and Buzz, and then I think Steve and uh, Tony were the other one. So, um, you know, obviously just uh, an incredible feat. Uh, the first no-hitter of this season, and obviously the Northsiders got one later. But for a while, it was the no- only no-hitter uh, in the shortened season. Uh, they had two three-game sweeps of Detroit in the span, one four-game sweep of Kansas City, and then they also did take three of four from Kansas City at another point in there. And then obviously uh, the conclusion of this, unfortunately, was the conclusion of the boom. I would have liked to see this continue all the way through the end of the season. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But they took three of four from Minnesota and clinched a playoff spot in that uh, series finale on September 17th. Um, my, I'll turn it over to you guys for thoughts on stuff that went on in this window here. But um, just a socks on tap moment again. Me and Tony, uh, they'd won those first two games of that Minnesota series. We were going to get together because we knew they had a chance to clinch the playoff spot. I bought a bottle of champagne over to his house for that Wednesday night game. And, of course, they lose. So I'm pretty sure the bottle of champagne is still sitting on top of Tony's fridge. Uh, unfortunately, we did not get to crack that open after a uh, playoff series win. So I um, had to get negative here. So let's talk about the good times from the boom. Uh, go ahead and rattle off some thoughts. Buzz, go ahead. It's all you, Steve. Go ahead, man. I'm, I'm enjoying soaking everything in right now. I started the last one. 
Look, you know, for me and, and Johnny, you mentioned this September 17th when that fly ball settled into Luis Roberts glove and the playoff drought was officially over, you know, I'm sitting here watching that game and I just, I just let it out, man. And it's just 12 years of pent up frustration. You know, the last couple of years, seeing all the whining from the negative portions of White Sox Twitter, just bitching about Han and bitching about every little thing that this organization does wrong to have that moment to put all that bullshit behind and and realize that this is finally a playoff team again for so long this team has had this long drought and and I put it into context you know my oldest nephew was born the day before the home opener in 2008 he has lived his whole life to this point and never got to see a white sox playoff game and so like for that kid to be able to finally get to see this team in a playoff game. Now, granted, he, you know, didn't get to see much of the games because he had to go to school and everything, you know, you know, now dur- during this. But, you know, it kind of puts it all into context just how long it's been since then. I mean, the kid's in junior high now. And, um, you know, for someone like me, you know, I, I'm buzz. You know, I don't have kids. Like, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different feel to it. But just that, that drought and just the agony of – going through that extended of a period of time. And I mean, look, I remember in 2012, I had physical hard playoff tickets in my possession. And when that thing collapsed at the end of the year, that team killed part of my soul. And so in some ways, you know, to see them finally get back into the postseason, there was a little bit level of vindication from that. And I think now at this point, we got to, this organization has to just kind of use that as the springboard now to go to this next level in their competitive cycle. Yeah, it was a huge moment, obviously, of the season, September 17th. You know, uh, <laughs> to bring it into perspective, man, so 2008, last time they were in the playoffs, right? I was a junior in high school. I graduated in 09. I was a junior in high school when they last made the playoffs. Um, I think it was before I was even dating my wife because I've been with her since – December of 2008 or no, I was, yeah. So it was, it was before, um, regardless, man, it was, it, it was a great moment just because I'm a huge, <laughs> me and my dad watch baseball, man. You know what I'm saying? So like, that's why I love the socks so much. And then I have awesome friendships that were made of that with, you know, shit, you, you, Steve, Nani, Tony, like we all came together because of the socks really. And that's how kind of <laughs> on tap was really born was because of that. So that was a cool moment for a variety of reasons, not just because they're, you know, one of my favorite teams, obviously. But uh, I think the coolest moment this year for me with that was um, during that span, like Nani was saying, was definitely the Lucas Giolito no-hitter. Um, think about it like this way. You know, I, you know, you guys know me. I get all weird with the stars and shit. I think it's because of my aunt with the star charts and shit when I was born. But, like, you know, like, for me, it's like I, I look up, man. I see, like, shit written there. And for – Lucas Giolito starting down here and having such a hard time as his first year. Right. And it just, you know, up in the majors and just being fucking horrible. Let's, let's, let's just let's say it how it was. It was bad. It was not good. And then taking uh, the, you know, putting his foot forward and, and making a change on what he was doing, getting with his high school coach, improving, coming out in 2019 and becoming the ace of the squad. Cause that's what he did. We watched him do it. And he did it again this year for the most part. And then he throws a no-hitter against Pittsburgh. That that was 
that was the coolest fucking moment of that stretch of baseball for me. That was the coolest moment of that stretch of baseball for me is I think that you just saw somebody write their own destiny. And I, I, I just, I think that is the coolest fucking and toughest thing that, that there is. So, you know, obviously them making the playoffs and all that shit, but that's my favorite moment of that little stretch of baseball there, because I really do feel like when that happened, the team were all like, they were already winning baseball games. They were already kicking ass. But I feel like in that moment, they're like, something special just happened. Let's keep the special stuff happening, you know? So that's kind of where I sit with it. Yeah, for sure, Buzz. Um, actually, as you were saying that, talking about you, I don't know if you guys can see it. My background might blur it out. But um, since I have a 40-game plan, um, I got one of the tickets, the commemorative tickets that they printed so off. Awesome. And it's got my Section 149, Row 12, uh, Seat 4, where I would have been uh, for it. So uh, definitely a very cool moment, Buzz. Um, I, I agree that that was one of the best ones in there. Um, I would From this one, I would probably say that Saturday night game uh, against the Cubs, though, because they were just, first of all, every, it seemed like everybody was hitting bombs. And then I was also with uh, one of our other ONTAP contributors, uh, occasional voice on this show, Andrew Kinsler. Um, and we flushed all the Cubs fans out of his apartment. They all went somewhere else. The Sox fans were at his place. We did shots after every home run, and it was phenomenal. Um, and, you know, it, we were absolutely tanked by the end of the night, but uh, it was a happy, happy kind of it. So um, the, definitely a fun stretch there. And you can't, you know, we, we got the Chugs for Dubs thread going after the uh, playoff clincher. That, that was a great celebration. Um, I, I feel like, obviously, this has nothing to do with it, but um, I feel like, you know, the White Sox were feeling our hangover from that with the stretch that we're about to talk to um, after, you know, because it just fell off the face of the earth. They fell off a cliff. Uh, Buzz, you and I were on um, for the uh, hangover game, we called it. Uh, we called it the hangover pod because it was a hangover game for the White Sox that Friday night in Cincinnati, and we said, ah, whatever. That's, you know, they just clinched yesterday. They're playing on back-to-back days. There wasn't a day off in between there or anything. So whatever. And we, you know, thought things were going to be okay because it went out and won that Saturday night game, hit a bunch of home runs, a bunch of solo shots in that Saturday night game against Cincinnati. Um, but that was not the case because Dylan Cease walked everybody and their mother on Sunday. Um, and it really started the downturn. And obviously, we know. <laughs> Um, that Cleveland week. So we're in the bus section of it right now. I mentioned the series at Cincinnati kind of gave the rundown there. Uh, yes, it was cool to beat Bauer in, in there, and especially that game being on Fox nationally televised. But um, this is a two and eight stretch. That was one of their only two wins after the, they clinched the playoff spot. One of their only two wins, two and eight down the stretch, swept in four. They lost uh, two of three uh, Cincinnati to kick that off. Swept in four games by Cleveland with getting walked off in back-to-back games. Obviously, we know the decision to go to Rodon in the middle there. Um, I will touch on that later as well. Um, Like I said, they were walked off twice. Let the Indians back in it after we had a chance to bury them. Me and Steve were all jacked up. We did the show um, on that Sunday after the uh, loss against the Reds. And we were like, we're going to put this one behind us. We're going to go out and win ourselves a damn division. And Steve, remember, we have that clip, uh, that little audio clip with the sound waves that I made. Um, and we were all jacked up. And what do they do? They come out and absolutely shit down their legs. That's what they did. Um, and then, you know, they got smacked by the Cubs in the opener of the final series. Um, they threw at Contreras, all that bullshit that we kind of alluded to earlier. Um, obviously, they won the Saturday game, which is nice. You know, they could have at least one going into the playoffs there, but then they also lost that Sunday game like 10 to 8 finish it out um and in my mind uh, i know some people would say it doesn't matter because they had some time off in between it wouldn't have mattered if they went 10 and 0 down that stretch but i believe personally it's just my opinion so you feel free to disagree with me if you want guys but that completely killed any momentum they had heading into the playoffs 100 percent in my mind so um but talk about the bust here before we get into uh the short-lived october there is one 
thing about this bust uh, that you did point out about how it was cool that we beat Trevor Bauer. Nani, do you know who hit a home run off Trevor Bauer? Yeah, Timmy did. Do you know who else? Oh, no, Mar Mazzara has won. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Quick, yeah. quick question, guys. I mean, is that worth another contract? I mean, should we tender him? Or I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. But. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Buzz killing him over here. Yeah, it's, it's not an McClay joke. It's not a McClay. It's a bad joke, McClay. Um, no, but that was, yeah, that was fucking terrible. Two and eight down the stretch. Totally blew it. <laughs> Lost a chance to win the division. That, I don't know how you guys feel about it, you know, because we still made the playoffs and everything, but that really sucked for me. You know, and doing these shows and shit, like, I thought for so long, guys, that we had that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it'd just be cool, like, you know, to have you know, a 2020 central division champion Chicago White Sox plaque hanging up over there, you know, and we just, yeah. we just don't, we don't get oh, it this time. Plus, you, know? you know what? Just a socks on tap moment sprinkled in here. Uh, that was guest week for socks on tap. We thought we were going to be, you know, riding high into the playoffs and we were going to get all the, you know, excitement from White Sox, Dave, Chuck Naso and summer of George. Uh, we had to sit here and, uh, <laughs> you know, wipe our tears uh, with them. It was, it, it sucked. It felt yeah, bad, but- man. This George bad. episode okay. was hysterical because he was he was so frustrated. You know how George gets just win, baby, just win. You know, and it's just like, yeah, well, fucking, we're bad right now. They just and, lost. Yeah, we just <laughs> lost. We need we need some more insight on the just win thing, real quick, man. It's not working. But uh, yeah, that was definitely. I forgot that that was guest week. Damn. Those shows would have been fucking lit if That's we were winning. That's what I'm winning. saying, man. It sucks. <laughs> like, it's bad, okay? Of course we fucking plan something, and we think that we're going to be up here. And, of course, we plan it, so it's just like, no, here's karma. Here's a karma god. Bring you back down to earth, motherfucker. You know, here, here you go. <laughs> go ahead, Steve. I'm getting sad again. I don't want to be sad anymore. <laughs> no, look, you, you guys really stole a lot of my thunder with this, and I think – the fact that they didn't win the division, and I know, like you said, there's a lot of people out there that had the belief that it doesn't matter, just get in. And you even heard some teams, you know, I, I think the Dodgers, even Dave Roberts, you know, famously said that it really just disincentivizes you to try to win the division this year because of the playoff format. I just didn't see it like that because with this team – you have to learn how to win. And I know that, look, I'm obviously, I think, a little more on the analytical side of things, you know, when, when I try to break things down. But there is a psychological element to this. And, and I can tell you that from having played on teams, there is a psychological piece that you have to overcome to get to that level. There's very few teams that are out there that, you know, when they – when they are start when they start to become competitive, they immediately go and hit that apex. You usually there's a gradual progression that goes along with it. You know, Buzz being a, a big Bulls guy, you know that part of that journey for for the Bulls was getting past Detroit. You know, Johnny for the for the Hawks again, they had to get past Detroit. There is something to that to a young team needing to overcome adversity and needing to assert themselves. And I think having won a division title would have done that. And I I think had they won that division title, and I'm not saying that it would have just, you know, negated some of the obvious flaws in the roster composition, but I just think that the mentality would have been different. It would have been like, okay, you know what? We're division champs. 
we can go out there, we can beat anybody. It doesn't matter who we play. Instead, and and plus, they would have been able to play games at home versus having to go yes. to Oakland. And I'm sorry, that matters. You know, um, I I just think that it would it, it could have really changed things in in the grand scheme of things in October. And I just wish that they would have taken it a little more seriously because, you know, the decision process between Rick Hahn and Rick Renteria on on some of the bullpen and some of the reliever usage, it it was pretty it was pretty obvious that they ultimately didn't care about what the outcomes were that last week. And I just think that that's, I, I just think that that sucks. And I think it really set a shitty tone going into the playoffs for, for a young team that didn't have the experience and hasn't been there before. You know, you're a hundred percent right, Steve. I like that you bring up the psychological um, element of it because sure. It's easy to look at the numbers. And I even saw people saying, well, if they slide, it's not the end of the world. Cause they'll get the more favorable matchup. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, no, uh, just I, I just wanted to call that out because, um, man, I, I understand, like, you know, we were talking about, you know, who would you prefer to play? And one of them was, you know, we didn't want to play the Indians because of the starting pitch. And I get that. And that's all, you know, stuff that you break down ahead of a playoff series when you're looking at potential opponents and whatnot. But for like you had said, getting over the hump, learning to win the psychological aspect of it that team is hell of a lot more confident walking into Oakland. You know, well, I guess it wouldn't even be walking into Oakland. You know, that's the other thing too. Like you had said, Steve, uh, they would have been able to stay home and play those games at their ballpark. Uh, you know, playoff baseball back at actually physically back at 35th and shields. I think that does make a difference. Um, if they were able to lock that down, man, um, it was just frustrating, especially that it came at the hands uh, of a, you know, a division opponent because you're slipping even more games. If you're playing, uh, you know, um, maybe an NL team there during that week um, and you lose, maybe it doesn't drop you as far down. Uh, but to have them do that, especially against a team that they were never able to get over the hump against um, it, it, this whole season in the Cleveland Indians was, um, man, it, it just sucked and it hurt. It really does. Uh, yeah, I, fuck, I fucking hate Cleveland. <laughs> just, that's the only part I had to add into the last part of that. I just fuck, I fucking hate Cleveland. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move into short-lived Soxtober. Um, they won game one, and we were feeling good, guys. That was on my birthday. Me and Tony did the recap episode. Uh, couldn't have been, you know, more perfect. Uh, Lucas Giolito, absolutely stellar. So um, that was a big concern that I had, guys, going into playoff game one because um, I know circumstances are different. Obviously, playoffs a whole different beast. But in, in some big games, we saw Lucas Giolito's command just not be present very first game of the year you know opening day is a big start as well maybe one of the biggest that you can get i know there's other series within the um you know schedule obviously with trying to clinch a division and stuff down the wire um that were also big don't get me wrong but opening day is another big one and it wasn't there and he got touched up early and i felt this thing could get out of hand early um but luckily it didn't uh he absolutely locked it down he was you know nails for the white Sox there um the offense did enough we got a yes bat drop in there um it was you know tim anderson uh what one of the is is he the only or one of i think it, there might be a few others but uh actually no i think he is the only i think i saw that stat the only player to have uh hits in his first three postseason games um that was pretty cool you know starting that off there um and you know 
you got the party started there, and they were able to take care of game one, but then games two and three. Uh, game two, the infamous magical stuff, uh, the little error in the first inning that kind of uh, opened the door for things, and then some dumb base running mistakes that uh, he was that was not new for him. It happened multiple times. Obviously happened on the play that he got injured on, uh, absolutely pissed away a game at Pittsburgh uh, that we have ended up getting walked off on earlier in the year. I mean, Steve went uh, scorched earth on him on a post-game episode there reared its ugly head again in the playoffs and then game three we all know uh the bullpen just you know bottom completely fell out so uh let's hear your thoughts on short-lived Soxtober. well we'll start with game one obviously Sox win that game four to one um jesus lazardo who is a very good he's a very good young pitcher and he's going to be very good for oakland moving forward. Um, I truly believe that, but Lucas Giolito and to point out what you had said, Nani about him being in, in big games, this is the biggest game he's ever fucking played. Let's take away the no hitter. Let's take away anything else that he's done. This was the biggest game that Lucas Giolito's ever played. He went seven innings. He lit up two hits, one earned run. He walked one. He struck out eight in that game. Biggest fucking game. Absolutely. The man. Um, I, I love that is a game that where people like, you know, you know how, what the narrative was last year in 2019 guys, you know, well, his numbers really came against bad teams. Well, look what he just did against the playoff team. He's got the dominance. We, we, we know he, he has that as far as the rest of the series goes. It's just, I don't even really know what to say about it. Uh, the error from magical in game two, the base running from him. Oh, well, we should have started Mendick Cause we would have won. Who's the gold club finalist guys. I mean, for real. Anyway, <laughs> Please don't please don't attack me. It was a joke. It was a it was a joke. Kind of. That might be a little bit serious. I don't know. We'll have another glass of beer and I'll let you know if I'm still serious or not. But you know, we we lose the next game five to three. We make a late game rally, uh, you know, a late rally there, and we ultimately fall up short. Game three is what still it still burns my ass, man. It does. It, it's just going to the bullpen the way that you did. Dunning starting the way that he did. I, I I don't know if he would have been able to work out of it, guys. I I'm not a I'm not a fucking psychic. I I don't know if he would have gotten out of it, but the bullpen decisions and everything that kind of I don't know how you feel. I think that's kind of the game that cost Ricky his job. The game at Cleveland cost him his job. You think it was the game at Cleveland that did it? That's, yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely could be. But the, w- the way he orchestrated this, I thought, was absolutely fucking terrible. Um, it, it was hard to watch. You know, um, unfortunately, Sox didn't, you know, didn't come out on top. But there was a couple good takeaways from it. Like you said, I think Tim Anderson had like nine fucking hits through his first three postseason games. You know, like that's that's amazing. It was like eight hits or something like that. He had three in the first game alone. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, they come back, you, you get better pitching next year. I think that this is a mute point because we're not trotting a fucking rookie out there to, you know, to, to the fire. I, we're, we're, we're going to trot out a, a, hopefully a good pitcher that we paid for that can actually fucking be out there. But yeah, I mean, again, game one was great. The last two sucked because we fucking lost no matter what happened to them. They fucking lost. And the fact that in game two, we used two, four, six, eight, nine pitchers is pretty, pretty fucking sad. Actually, it's pretty sad when you go and look back at it. Yeah, Keuchel didn't get it done. That was the only other thing I had to sprinkle in there. Game two, oh, right. I forget that. I know he didn't get helped up by Madrigal in the first inning, but I'll hand it over to Steve now. Just wanted to mention him too. 
Yeah, look, that playoff series against Oakland, it was the best of times in game one, <laughs> and it was the worst of times in game three. Um, like you guys both said, I mean, look, Lucas Giolito went out there and did a lot to kind of crush some narratives, you know, that were that were surrounding him. And he went out there and just absolutely shoved from the outset. And he was out there and he just absolutely had that bulldog mentality that you want to see from your top of the rotation arm. And, you saw that he, screenshot of the look in his eyes. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Just backs that's, up what you're saying, Steve. Yeah. That, you know, you, you talk about top of the rotation guys and guys that want the ball and then that mentality. And, you know, it, growing up as, as a pitcher, there's times when all of us kind of go through that. And obviously, you know, not going through it at the major league level is, is different, but you know, whether it's in high school or, or junior high or summer travel ball, you go through one of those stretches where you're just executing all the time and you feel like it doesn't matter who is in that batter's box. It could be juiced up Barry Bonds from 2001 and it doesn't matter because you're going to get them out and you have that mentality. Allegedly. And you saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. Cause it's totally normal at 38 years old for your head to get bigger. Um, but you know, that's not what you called. Um, <laughs> but you know, and, and, and you just, you saw that from from Giolito that's one of the big takeaways that I have from from this series going into next year and then you look at you know you go to game two and and Dallas Keuchel just picked the wrong time to have his worst start of the season and it kind of makes you wonder you know did that IL stint that he had in September that cost him two weeks if he doesn't have that if his if he doesn't miss that time and if he's you know on his normal routine and if he's got his normal stamina does that happen you know does he go out there and does he execute um you know you obviously you have the magical blunders out there and Johnny you know you touched on the fact that look you and I, we, we rode him pretty hard when, when that happened earlier in the season, that, that particular game against Pittsburgh. Um, he's a young player. He's going to learn from that, hopefully. It just was very frustrating to see that. And then, you know, game three, I mean, my God, you know, you jump out, you know, you get that Titanic home run from Luis Robert that I don't know if that thing has even landed yet. And you're up, you know, what was it two or three to nothing in the fourth inning, and you're feeling good, even in spite of the fact that they had to burn through pitchers the way they did. And I think the Garrett Crochet injury really screwed up the plan that they did have in place. But then, you know, you see Oakland go and take the lead, and then, you know, Mazzara of all people gets the big base hit to tie things up. And then they go and they just give it right back in the bottom half of the fifth inning. And then from there, it just felt like a slow death march. Like you were at a funeral and and you're just waiting for it to finally come to its culmination. They had opportunities to get back in that game and they just could never do it. And it just, it got really painful to watch there at the end because they were just close enough to make you think that one swing of the bat and they're right back in this thing. And that just never happened. Yeah, Steve, um, you know, the story you just told was so sad. I'm sorry. (laughs) So one of the um, one of the reasons why we wait a couple of weeks and do a season reflection, we implemented this last year and even in a year they didn't make the playoffs. It still makes me sad, you know, at the end of the season when it finally does come to an end and there's no more White Sox baseball until the next calendar year. It always makes me sad. But 
I, I was not over this for, and you know, it's still, I mean, it's still thoughts that linger, but legitimately like emotionally upset. I, I was not over it for a good, I would say 10 days after the fact. Um, and it, you know, that slow death march is kind of what did that in Steve. If it was something that was just a, you know, a nail biter that absolutely, uh, you know, could have gone either way, it may feel a little bit different. And you feel maybe a little bit, you know, not better. Obviously, you never want the team to lose, but maybe you're like, okay, well, they gave it their damn all. Um, you know, as much as you can say that or whatever, they didn't execute on their opportunities. So when no, I could even say that they gave it their all um, in that final game. And it was a slow death march. I remember just pacing back and forth in front of my TV. Um, and it was it was painful. So uh, I don't know if you guys had any other reactions to uh, how it went out and how you felt afterward, because, man, I was sad for a while. Uh, I had to go and pick up, I, I think, like three different uh, bricks of bush light during that week. I swear to God, like you think I'm like joking it like it was just like, well, feeling sad again. I should probably, you know, drink like 12 beers tonight to help alleviate that. And it, it just went on for a few days. And uh, it, it did not feel good to say that. <laughs> when the season ended and we were eliminated, I uh, obviously I was on the show with Steven and, and Tony after that. Nani, you went MIA because, you know, you, had, you were in your feelings. And I, I respect that, man. I Afterwards, I got I got in mind. Um, of course, I, I watch, man. I, I, you know, I've been watching the World Series. I watched all the whole playoffs after for the most part. Any game I could catch, I've watched. It's just not is fun to not have a, a dog in the fight. Does that make sense? You know, as much as you can respect the sport or not, I just, I, I don't have a dog in the fight. So yeah, it's been, it's been sucky. I mean, you know, the only thing right now I have is the five and one bears. And I know that fucking train wrecks coming. Just, just you wait, but um, you know, I, I'm doing okay because I, I keep telling myself that brighter days are ahead, man. So I know you said you went in your little depression. I had a little, I had a little one too, but I'm, I'm good. I know that brighter days are ahead. I feel that I feel like, man, I feel like they're going to get somebody good in free agency, a couple good guys that really benefit this team. So it's just what I got to keep telling myself. So I don't, you know, stay in my depression mode. Yeah. Buzz, that's why I needed the uh, time to, to kind of digest. And like I said, pretty sad for about 10 days. But after that, I started, like I had mentioned, when we opened up with our initial thoughts, hopeful, but not satisfied. And that's where I'm at now. But Steve. You know, the the finality of it and just how quickly it all happened, um, you know, when that final out happened, I just remember, you know, before hopping on, you know, to talk, to do the post game, just kind of thinking like, well, what now? You know, like you go through this, this shortened roller coaster ride and i mean a, a normal baseball season is is a roller coaster ride to begin with but you condense that down over a 65 day window i feel like that almost added to it even more and then for it to just boom like that it's over and it's done and it's just kind of like well what the fuck you know and one, one of the things that i always i always like to do is um you know I always like to go to the last home game every year and I always make a point, you know, to just do a slow walk from the ballpark back to Buffalo wings and rings back to my car and just kind of like say goodbye to baseball season. And with the pandemic and everything this year going on, not being able to do that, it was a little tougher for me to kind of let go of that. Um, I think maybe, 
maybe a day or two later, you know, I kind of just got to the point where I'm just like, you know what, the team really did meet the expectations that I, that I did have for them. It sucked. I felt that they raised the bar by mid September on that. And then they ultimately fell short of, of what I thought they could have done. Um, but, you know, I feel like I got over this one a lot quicker than I have in previous years. Like I said, that 2012 season, you know, and, and I come back to that one probably more, more than any other, that one just ripped out my heart and, and just, it just stopped on it. Like I said, I feel like part of my soul died with that team. I didn't feel that way with this team because I didn't legitimately think that this team was going to be able to win the world series this year. But I think to your, both of your guys points here at this point now, it's about wanting more and, and doing what it's going to take to get this team to that next level. Yeah, Steve, I think you're I like the kind of blend that we have here. I think Buzz sits somewhere in the middle, but you're you're pretty good at looking at the big picture all the time, Steve. Um, whereas I kind of like to live in the moment and the moment um, if it's good it's a fucking party after and you know me we, we get after it and it's a damn party buzz like if they would have won that oh my god i i think i would have uh emptied the liquor store near me out of champagne bottles uh, like i you know that's just how it goes but when they lose then it hurts it, it hurts and i fall hard um so it's just you know part of being passionate and also just the what you're doing i'm so dialed There's into every pitch i got the i got up on everyone and analyzing all the you know as it goes along and then like you had said steve it's just gone like that in an instant and it really took me time to even process that what do you mean there's no white Sox game today right I mean, what do you mean this isn't going five like you know this i know it's only three game series but you know you're just like waiting for like the next thing it just wasn't happening um and also the fashion in which they uh lost to uh, made it a little bit harder um and just errors that you know literally physically errors um nick magical in game two i know game three is hard to digest but you know you had some uh monkey wrenches thrown in there with the crochet injury um i go back to game two more than anything uh, i think it's a whole different ball game if nick magical fields that ball cleanly in the first inning and we get out of that oh oh um i really do so it's more of like the butterfly effect what could have been if this happens alternate timelines all of that shit um that's kind of what i was thinking about for a while so um i think that puts a good uh, cap on the season unless you guys have any other uh, thoughts before we answer a big question here about expectations no i'm good man let's let's get into it so the question is, um, we will kick it to Buzz first on this one and then go to Steve and I will bring it back uh, to close it out. Um, did the White Sox fall short of, meet, or exceed your expectations in 2020? Buzz. They, exceed, they exceeded my expectations, Johnny. They, uh, well, they exceeded them because I didn't know if they were – I thought that, again, when the season started, if it was a regular season and the preview episode, I thought they could be a wild card this year, right? Um, and I, I, I've said that. But when I say exceeded, it, it, I guess I mean when I said that I thought they could be a wild card, I believed what I said. It's just I always keep that little fucking you know that thing on my back, man. It's just kind of like, eh. <laughs> I said that. I believe it, but they're going to let me down. And you know what, man? We had some really great moments this year. And when I say exceeded, I mean I know. I know that something better is on the horizon here. I know they're going to be competitive. I know they're going to be good in the future. And yes, that does apply to just this season because I saw how dominant 
Robert was. And I know he went through his slump and he got fucked up a little bit, but he's going to get better. He, he's going to get better. Yoan Mankata got fucking COVID. That fucked his day up. You know what I mean? Like, that really messed Yoan Mankata up physically. We didn't get the best Yoan Mankata we've had. Jose Abreu has shown no song. He's getting better. He's like wine. He's getting better with age. He, I, oh, he, I re- look, he reversed the trend that he was on. Come, exactly. Well, basically I, 180. Right. I look at the future of this right now. And if they make the right signings, I'm not trying to sound too homerish here. I'm trying to keep it as real as motherfucking possible. But I think that they're on a trajectory where they're going to spend. And I think they're going to win. And seeing the players that paid off for us this year, like, I mean, listen, dude, Garrett Crochet, that, that was fucking awesome. Never seen anything like that before. Guy never played in fucking minor league baseball. Came right up and was dominant. It was awesome to see. Cody Hoyer had a great season. There's a bunch of guys that excite me for the future. That's why I say it exceed, exceeded my expectations. They made me excited to watch baseball. Did I want them to go farther? Yeah, I did. Did I think they could make the playoffs if it was a 162-game season? Yeah, I did. But when I saw it all come together, it exceeded my expectations because I enjoyed watching it, and I thought, and I think, and I still believe that they're going to go farther next year. So that's why my expectations were exceeded. That that monkey on my back where I always think that they're going to suck, I don't think that's going to be there next year. I, and that's why I say what, I say, what I'm saying it's, now. It's, it's a beautiful thing to have that buzz, and I will kind of uh, elaborate on some of the same things, but it's Steve's turn, so go ahead. You know, in my opinion, um, or, or from my perspective, they met the expectations that I had for them. Um, you know, mid-March, before everything got shut down, as I'm getting ready to put out, you know, a season preview issue and everything, my thought was that, look, this team on paper is about an 84-win team, that they've got some unknowns, like a Luis Robert, um, you know, like Dylan Cease, you know, Dane Dunning and, and even Kopech, you know, guys that you thought were going to play a role in this. And I thought there's still enough upside with this team. If a couple, if they get a couple of breaks, they easily exceed their projections and could easily be a 90 win team and be a wild card team. So, you know, we really kind of saw that play out here th- this year. And, and you saw some of the young guys take tremendous steps forward and, you know, so really from my perspective, I mean, they, they did what I thought they were going to do. Um, ultimately, I thought that there was still a little bit of a talent gap that was going to prevent them from making a deep run into the postseason. And, and we ultimately did see that kind of come to fruition, unfortunately, in, in a pretty painful manner. But from my perspective, I mean, they, they did what I thought that they were capable of doing here. And so there's really no level of disappointment that I have with what we saw from this team in 2020. I like it, Steve. Um, mine will be slightly exceeded and it's important. That's a short answer, but it's important to break down because um, I like what you just mentioned about thinking about this back in March before, uh, right, right before the pandemic hit. And we uh, kind of did, I think we did an episode where we were talking about what we think records are going to be and where they would stand um, literally in the standings after, you know, when 162 were said and done. Um, and I had them just fringe out of the wild card, just out. Like, you know, one, one of those top teams that uh, just missed the cut. Um, and then we redid it. You know, obviously we had all that time fucking just sitting around for a couple of months. Um no sports going on, but then when, you know, when the season was coming back and we got our season preview episodes together and we were all talking in our uh, group messages and whatnot, um, I'd said, yeah, with the expanded playoffs, 
yeah, they'll, they'll make it. They'll make it. And um, I thought that they probably would have been uh, in the slot where they were um, right around there in that seven, eight, maybe, um, you know, in a six spot. So um, I think, like I said, exceeded slightly um, because I, I did not honestly foresee uh, consistent boom like they had, you know, and that was pretty consistent for a month that they had. And, you know, Grant, you can say what you want about the opponents and whatnot. Um, I know it kind of, I guess I was really disappointed by the collapse, obviously, but that kind of brought it back down. So they really would have exceeded if they, you know, kind of even played 500 ball through that last stretch. They really would have exceeded, but they slightly exceeded still uh, with how they finished, with how they padded themselves with that uh, boom period that we had talked about previously. So, yeah, I'd have to go and dig up my exact predictions uh, on past episodes, but I will be honest, that's a lot of going through uh, timestamps and whatnot um, and probably listening to a lot of stuff that is very outdated uh, at this point um, going back, you know, especially uh, in the March. Uh, when we were talking about the stuff on the show, but um, slight, slightly exceeded is my final answer, and I'm uh, happy with that. And that maybe, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, maybe if I set the bar a little bit higher at the beginning, uh, it would have been met um, for, you know, for expectations there. Uh, but, you know, negative Nani, the, the takes, the, they flow out, it, it happens. So they, they definitely slightly exceeded uh, my expectations. So um, that's it for this uh, big question to kind of wrap things up. Now we've got gentlemen socks on tap sentiments uh i like alliteration so that's why we call it that i could easily call it awards but it's socks on tap sentiments because there's more than just awards here because we're talking about um a variety of things the podcast itself talking about play uh you know player awards kind of in a way and then we're also talking about just uh times that we had uh you know in moments so uh we're going to start out with what was your favorite moment of the season and this is on field uh what was your favorite moment of the 2020 white Sox season buzz go ahead and kick us off uh, I kind of said earlier in the show, Lucas Gilito's no hitter against Pittsburgh. Uh, that was my favorite moment of the season. I got to take that game in with uh, my father-in-law, and my dad. Um, you know, because we—if you you guys know—I got the new house in in August. You know, so I was only here for a little bit. You know, and uh, and I got to watch that game, and I just thought that was—I uh, thought that was really, really fucking cool. So that's my favorite moment of the season. It was the Lucas Gilito no hitter. Steve. Um, like I mentioned earlier, September 17th, when that fly ball landed in Luis Roberts' glove and they closed the playoff spot against the Minnesota Twins. Fuck Perhaps. them Twins. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, 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 and again, I, th- I think, you know, coming on the heels of me writing the, the piece that I did about needing to exercise the demons of beating the Minnesota Twins, and after, you know, a certain somebody running his mouth who will remain nameless saying that, you know, the Sox couldn't beat any good teams – you know, so then to go out there and to clinch the playoff spot and to have his team have to watch, that was just too sweet. Too sweet. I love it, Steve. Um, I'll double down. I'll double down. That, that was mine as well. Uh, we had a big celebration here. Um, obviously, we got the Chugs for Dubs thread going. I loved seeing all the excitement since, you know, this is a party that I, I would have been the ringleader of at Shinex. You guys know that. Um, that would have been rallying the guys from the lot to go over there uh, and do this thing up right. And I would have played levels by Avicii a hundred times on the, uh, you know, jukebox there. 
but um th- that was my favorite moment but I, I don't you know we to avoid redundancy here since steve took that one as well um definitely a maybe a 1a then or a 1b whatever uh we're calling it on um, that saturday night against the cubs because um i love beating the cubs uh, old school um white Sox fan you know hardo whatever you want say it doesn't matter all you want uh this year it did matter because they made up you know whatever forget what the exact percent of was but we played them uh what six times so i mean that made up a pretty significant chunk of the schedule uh, 10%, the Cubs. according and, to my math and it um it uh did you do that math in your head oh my god i could i did i did graduate from the purdue university so uh, the, the numbers seem to check out oh okay that's cool because i uh i couldn't have done the, that in my head <laughs> the one of the things that um you know when we're kind of kind of grasping for topics during off season episodes is that the Cubs and White Sox is a rival. Me and Tony really like to hammer that home, and I know you know Buzz, you're kind of you've gravitated more towards that with us and Steve. Um, you know I agree that you know you dislike the Cubs, but you're more the AL Central guy that you know and right rightfully so because we do see them more often, but. The crosstown stuff still still means something to me. Like I said, me and Kinsler watched that together, and we booted all the Cubs fans out. Had the Sox party there, um, and it was just fun to to watch them hit bombs all over Wrigley. So uh, bringing that up there was fun. So that'll be my one B favorite moment of the year, um, guys. You know, it wouldn't be a White Sox season. We talked about how much this was a roller coaster without a least favorite moment. Um, so let's turn it over to Buzz for your least favorite moment of the year because it can't be all sunshine and rainbows here. <sighs> Man, I got it's a cheesy answer, but my least favorite moment is losing in game three. I really thought we could have won. I thought that we could have done something. And I, that's my least it coming to an end was my least favorite moment. We had some lows during the regular season, but it was my least favorite moment to lose to Oakland in game three. That was my least favorite moment because I knew that daily socks on taps ended and I knew that my team was gone. So that's that's my least favorite moment of the season. Steve. I have to echo those exact sentiments from, from Buzzer and I, and, you know, again, maybe something a little bit redundant, but just the slow death march that those final four innings were in, in game three right there, it was so painful. I mean, that was one of the most painful baseball experiences of my fandom that, that I've gone through in, you know, the close to five decades that I've been on this earth. <laughs> All right. Um, mine is Wednesday, September 23rd, uh, second night in a row getting walked off by Cleveland. Um, or excuse me, Thursday. Uh, this was actually wasn't the walk-off. This is the one after that. Um, Thursday, September 24th. Actually, obviously, the walk-off sucked, but this whole Cleveland series I could put as a, you know my least favorite moment. But that Thursday, because that was the day that Rodon was brought in, um, and, you know, it was questioned at the time, and that's where I said Buzz asked, you know, oh, the game three was when Ricky, you know, lost his job. Mm-mm. For me, that that was the moment, at least in my mind. Like I said, if I was the one calling the shots, I guess, because um, we don't really know exactly. Obviously, it's a culmination of things that. Oh, uh, right. Led, yeah, it's just like us. a. But- in my mind, that, that is where it was. And it, it really draws back to Steve's point that he said, it's like they didn't care about, you know, winning those games on the stretch after they clinched. That's really what it felt like there. And that was the ultimate um, kind of uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, you know, it, it, the ultimate descriptor of that the, in words, you know, or, you know, putting that into action, putting those that thought that they were, you know, didn't care about winning those games into action um, by letting Rodon go in out of the bullpen for the first time since, what, 2015? Uh, was it? it just just terrible all around, um, and it really hurt, especially since we'd gotten walked off uh, the games before. So um, that that's, that's it for me. That was the worst moment of the season. That Cleveland series absolutely sucked. So um, 
let's move on. Uh, we, like I said, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. We can get back to some positive stuff here. Uh, MVP guys. I don't think there's any doubt. It's between Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu. So uh, go ahead and talk about either of those guys if you want for a little bit here. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I got, I got not much to say about it. Tim Anderson is a motherfucking man. No doubt about it. But Pito is the MVP and that's where I stand. Tim Anderson is a man. I, and I think he, he is a future MVP candidate. Uh, Jose Abreu is the MVP. I don't even want to elaborate. It's just he's the MVP. <laughs> Look, um, Buzz is absolutely right. It is MVP. To I thought, you know, when when you get to mid September, I thought it was going to come down to who had that better seven to ten days leading into the postseason. That was ultimately going to decide it. And Timmy, Timmy hit a slump that last week of the season, and that was ultimately the deciding factor in this. So yeah, it's uh, it's Pito all the way. For sure. I agree. MV Pito, uh, we use that extensively from the Sox on Tap account. Fully believe it. As we're seeing these awards come in, the AL Outstanding, or yeah, AL Outstanding Player as voted by the players today. Um, you got the Hank Aaron Award finalist. You got the Sporting News Player of the Year. There's no doubt. Um, Jose Abreu is the MVP. Absolutely turned it on. And that also plays into part of my 1B favorite movement, um, the, those three bombs that he hit on that Saturday night at Wrigley Field. So um, absolutely, MV Pito. I think they're, like I said, when I told you guys to prepare um, your, your thoughts for the socks on tap sentiments, I didn't even include MVP because I was like, it's just going to be one of them. So just we know what we're going to talk about with them. Let's move on. Best newcomer. Um, Buzz, I'm interested to hear what, what you have to say about this. Well, obviously, you know, you, <laughs> you know me, I like to go out of the box most of the time. And I, I would like to say Luis Robert because, I mean, like, let's, let's be honest. It, it is. OK, it is. But I'm going to say Garrett Crochet. Motherfucker was unhittable. Coming out of college, dude. College. Like, that's the thing. No minor league experience. He was in some big moments. He was in some, you know, just regular regular moments. He performed in all of them. And, like, dude hit, like, 102 miles an hour. Like, 50, well, what was it? I know Steve is a big, big stat, you know, with the stats. But, like, he was over, what, 50% of his fucking pitches were over 100 miles an hour or some shit? Like, I mean, guy was fire. Guy was absolute fire. I, I think that he is the best newcomer. And the reason I say that he's the best newcomer is I think that Luis Roberts going to be an MVP someday. I, I really do. I think that he's going to be the best center fielder in the game. Um, he's going to grow into that for sure. Yeah, uh, well, Garrett, there's there's not just rookie of the year. There's AL MVP talk early on, obviously before we get the slump, yeah, but that's how the the ceiling really. Yeah. That's how good he was. You're no, Nani, you're absolutely right. There was MVP talk for Luis Robert. Not just rookie of the year. You're yeah. absolutely right. Early, early rumblings, but you know right. what I'm saying. Where yeah, it was in F four and like all that. You know, through your yeah. first twenty games, who's the AL? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Absolutely, but uh, I, I say that Garrett Crochet is because pitching is so motherfucking important. And now, again, I'm not, I'm not sounding like an idiot here, am I? Because I'm not taking anything away from Luis Robert. I'm no, not no, trying to it, do that. I, I think it's good to have some variance here too, because there's some very obvious ones here. But it's nice to touch on some of the other guys. Yeah. I got maybe a little off the wall for you guys, but um, if you're done, let's let Steve. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I'm taking Garrett Crochet. I thought he was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching him, and I wish he did not leave in Game Three uh, of the playoffs. But I, I'm going to take Garrett Crochet. Yeah. So mine, um, I, I think, and maybe another off the wall one and maybe a little bit of an unsung hero, Cody Hewer. You know, this guy just another guy that 
coming into the season, had no major league experience, um, thrust into that bullpen. And from the outset, I mean, he was out there and he was just shoving. And, and he's just going out there and he's throwing that upper 90s fastball and that hard-biting slider. And, and he's just going out there and he's just lighting people up. And as the season went on, as his confidence grew and as he kept throwing zeros up there, Ricky you know, started putting him into some higher leverage roles here. And this is a guy that's going to be a very important part of this bullpen going forward. And as we have seen here through October, as we're watching, you know, we're in between games of the World Series here, but you know, leading up to, to this series between Tampa and the Dodgers, how important having a quality bullpen is in the game today and having guys that you can count on to be able to go out there and shut the door. And, you know, I like to tweet that out there all the time. Cody Horse shuts the door. I mean, because that guy, he was, he was absolutely nails. And that's a guy that went out there and looked like he had been in the league for 10 years. And um, I'm, I'm really excited to see this guy's continued growth and development here. And he's going to be a big part of this bullpen going forward. All right. I, I like the uh, uniqueness of some of these picks here, and I'm going to stick with the pitching theme. Um, and I was thinking about Cody Hoyer, Steve, but I'm going to go and, and disregard what, what happened because Rodon fucked him in the situation. Ricky fucked him over. Matt Foster. Another exact That's reasons that you one, gave Donnie. there. Exact reasons that you gave there, Steve. He was able to give multiple innings, probably one of your best options for the opener, um, if that's going to be a route that they're going to have to go. Um, if they don't, obviously, we you know, starting pitching is a major need, and I don't think they will let the offseason go by unaddressed. But inevitably, there's going to be injuries. Pitchers get injuries. That that happens. You, you throw a lot. It's a motion that you repeat so many damn times. Pitchers are going to get injured. You're eventually going to have to use a bullpen day. Matt Foster may be one of the best opening options in the league, let alone just the best opening option for the White Sox. So, um, like I said, disregard uh, what what happened uh, with him giving up the runs in Game Three because that was Rodon had to intentionally walk a guy just to get to the three batter minimum to get to him, and you're just thrusting rookie into that situation like that. But overall, just look at that before. How long did he go without uh, you know allowing anything uh, for so long? So, and then another reason that I like picking Matt Foster here, guys, is first of all, Steve, I think you'd like this. I did a little research while you were talking. Uh, Cody Hoyer f four five point uh, five, uh, Matt Foster f four point six. Boom, got your beat there. But uh, second of all, <laughs> um, it's her own game. Whoa, what is it good for? Yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> but no, this, 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 I just had to throw that in there uh, just as a reason to bolster my argument here. But um, the, the other thing, too, is you talk about, I, I look around the league and in the past years, uh, especially in 2019, looking around the league, especially when we get you know absolutely destroyed by Boston and Michael Chavis is doing stuff. And I know he's fallen off, but I say well, some of these guys that just come out of nowhere and help these teams and produce really well in their first season. I'd get really mad because no one was doing it for the White Sox. Well, first of all, that happened. He came up and he produced right away, um, skipping you know levels of uh, minor leagues and whatnot. Um, but second of all, just totally unknown, totally off the radar. He's not your Jonathan Stevers, the darling that everyone likes to tout and, you know, be so high on. Well, who the hell had Matt Foster? I would say pretty much fucking no one besides his family um, for him being a major contributor here uh, in year one as, as much as he did. So uh, that, that's why I go with him. And it's really nice to see a, a guy that you really didn't expect because you need those hidden gems. Um, you know, obviously it's unpredictable. But if when they come through and they shine, um, it, it is a big help to your team um, beyond the uh, whatever the flashy prospects. So uh, that, that's why I'm going with Matt Foster there. But I like our picks, guys, all around. Um, I think, you know, Luis Roberts, they're all kind of underscores of that because Roberts playing every day. He's, you know, 
athletic freak. We all know that he hit the slump, but before that he was unbelievable and he's going to be unbelievable for years to come. So we all kind of knew that. I, I like the perspective that we gave there. So let's go with unsung hero. Now that's our next category. That's kind of tough. The unsung hero of the team. I mean, what I, what I sound like an asshole if I chose Jose Abreu because so many people counted him out before the season started. Pretty well sung towards the end, but um, I mean, well, towards the end he was pretty well sung. But I mean, during I mean during the season he was. I guess I was talking about before the season started. Yeah, you know the bat him six thing, don't pay him thing. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, a good idea. You got, you got any other name in mind though? Maybe a little sub sub level of that. Anything just went underappreciated. Shit, underappreciated. Not really. I mean, Luis Robert was talked up. Eloy Jimenez, we all yelled at him about running into a wall. Unsung hero for this team. I have no idea, man. I, I guess I would. Do you want Steve and I to just say it at the same time? Go ahead. Yasmani Grandal. Oh, my God. That's Yaz it. Was, That's I, the answer. But usually, I had... I, usually I'd offer it up uh, to everyone that... here. I just kind of wanted to set that up for this boy. Uh, it's Yasmani Grandal. Think about what he got from the fan base. Everybody wanting McCann. Um, I, you know, don't me wrong. I love James McCann. If there was a perfect world in which they could sign both of them, yeah. But it's like Steve and I had this conversation. We were texting, and uh, you had mentioned it in the article that he was tied with JT Real Muto for the most valuable catcher in the league, and still uh, we're getting you know calls for him because he dropped a couple of balls, uh, you know, trying to um, tag guys out at home, and it just didn't you know happen. But overall, the defense was still good enough to put his WAR at one point seven F four, being that. Um, and he'd still just get shit. And they'd say, oh, well, all he does is strike out or whatever. And they'll, they'll disregard the walks because they don't remember that shit. Um, and this team desperately needed on-base percentage boost. Uh, he provided that big time. And um, he, he didn't get nearly enough love for what it was. And Steve said um, when we were talking, uh, it was like, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I want the White Sox to make a big splash. White Sox sign Yasmani Grandal. Does what he does. Pretty Yasmani Grandal type season. Uh, obviously not towards as good as he can be, but it wasn't terrible by any means. Um, and he's still getting this kind of shit here. Definitely the unsung hero of the team. I guess that's fair. I just, I guess I just didn't really look at it that way. Cause I appreciated what he did during the whole season. You know, I personally, I thought he was really good. Well, I, you know, well, both, I think the problem with it is that he has a skill set that isn't necessarily the most aesthetically pleasing because of the fact that he does strike out and because he doesn't hit for a high batting average. And, you know, we still have a lot of a lot of people in the fan base that have this mentality that, you know, their first little league coach told them, you know, sometimes in some cases 30 or 50 years ago that, oh, you have to swing the bat all the time. And that if you don't, you know, you're not a good player. And and the fact is, like Johnny was saying, I mean, this team has so many free swingers. And so to have a guy that can come in there that has control and has a sense of the strike zone. And the fact of the matter is that on-base percentage should have been a lot higher because he really got the Yoan Mankata treatment from 2018 this year with getting rung up pitches that weren't even close to the fucking strike zone. So, you know, the idea that his numbers actually should have been even better than they were um, is something that I don't think a lot of people are taking into account. Now, yeah, look, there, there, there certainly were defensive lapses and they were, can be frustrating as hell. There's no question about that. I still remember that play um, when Abreu, you know, from from his ass, you know, makes the makes the throw to the plate, and Grandal's, you know, looking in towards the dugout, and the ball goes between his legs, allowing a run to score. And he's he's going to have those moments, and they are incredibly frustrating. But 
the totality of what he brings to this team and the skill set that he has is something so desperately needed by this team that it just it almost got lost on deaf ears for for a lot of the fan base, unfortunately. Yeah, that's we, fair. that's so fair. White I just, Sox uh, fans say, sorry, Buzz, I mean, cut you off. Uh, White Sox, what, here's what I was going through from Steve. This is our text. White Sox fans last offseason. We want nice things. Yasmani Grandal goes out, does what he does. Not like that. Right. I, I guess my only, I guess why I didn't look at him as an unsung hero is because, like, I... I had this conversation with my dad a lot because he looks at batting average and home runs and ribbies, right? And that's what he looks at. And I like I tried to explain to him, like, hey, man, I'm like, yo, this dude's like on base like 30 fucking, you know, 37% of the time. But he's, you know, that's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, that's good shit. You should look at on base percentage, OPS, stuff like that. For the people that are really mad at Yasmani Grandal because they thought he was some sort of like, who'd you reference earlier? Steve Barry Bonds kind of guy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to hit a bunch of fucking dingers and this is what he does. Whatever. I, I recommend wa- reading the book Watch Baseball Smiter- Smarter by Zach Hampel. <laughs> I, I, I recommend reading that because you'll learn a lot. I, that's why I didn't look at him as an unsung hero. I think he gave us everything that we needed. I think that he improved yeah. the catcher position. And I like James McCann too, guys. All right? I like James McCann too. I think he's done wonders for Giolito. Steve, you and I talked extensively about this on one of our socks on taps. But, bro... He's not an everyday catcher, and I, I, I stand by that, okay? I stand by that. What happened? Nani, we were doing these shows consistently in 2019 together. What happened after the All-Star break? Oh, yeah, it, it fell, it fell uh, you know, pretty significantly. Significantly <laughs> bad. And I'm not saying he's not good. I think he improved his game for sure, but that's why I looked at you. I, I guess I didn't look at him as an unsung hero because Yaz played great to me. But we'll, we'll, we can move on. Uh, yeah, uh, I, that, you know, definitely. I just want I didn't mean to put a monopoly on that, but I did. just No, want to no, take it's that fine. Point because th- these are conversations that we've been having in our you know group chats and, uh, right. you know, j- just amongst ourselves when we're meeting in person. Uh, but I wanted to air it out uh, for the listeners, too. And just because I see so much of it, maybe, you know, and maybe he wasn't unsung. Maybe I'm sure there's a decent there is a decent portion that does appreciate him. But the ones that do not and are the ones that are calling that, you know, oh, I, I got the jersey. I got the jersey. I took a picture of it, you know, with me wearing it the other night. And I got a guy replying to me that's saying, hope it doesn't make an error. Make an error. And it's like, dude, you're missing totally of what he brings to the table. Like, please, like, just, you know, I didn't even dignify it with the response. So consider this this whole section here, my response to it. But I will give, um, as we're moving on, that's enough. Yeah, it's Monty Grandall talk here right now. Um, as we're moving on, before we get to the final category of our favorite socks on tap moment, um, I'll throw a whatever 1B in here for Adam Engel, just because Noir Mazzaro was such ass all season. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Just for Adam Engel, you know, being uh, in nothing super outstanding, but fairly reliable. Obviously, always great defense. Uh, Serviceable. Bat, uh, when, he, when he has the correct matchup there, we saw, hey, he, he got us kind of jump-started a little bit in that game one uh, with the home run, you know. Um, so I, uh, I'll i give Adam Engel a shout-out there as well for Unsung Hero. There you go. There you go. I, I, I dig that for sure. I dig yes. that. That's fair. So, all right. We're, we're down to the wire here. Uh, favorite socks on tap moment of the year. Podcast uh, specific, guys. God, man. See, it's so hard. I, I looked at this earlier. I guess I think my favorite moment of the year is the fuck. Again, I'm going back to it, guys. We had a double header, the first ever 
White socks on tap double header for the Lucas Giolito per or no hitter. That's my favorite moment of the year. And honestly, I, I've had a lot of great moments. I've had great moments with Steve where we laugh. We've been very pissed off. Nani, same with you. Same with Tony, who wasn't able to be here with us tonight. I, I've had a lot of great moments. And now I'm going to get a little bit sappy because, you know, it's me. So I'm going to have to get a little bit sappy. But I think one of my favorite moments this year was Steve becoming a regular member of Socks on Tap consistently. And that started from the beginning of the season, obviously, all the way till the abysmal end <laughs> where we all died together. I think that was one of my favorite uh, moments of this season when that just came to fruition, whether that was the off season, whether that was the beginning of the season, whatever, you know, we've been close with Steve for like almost two years now. And the fact that he, you know, joined up on the show is, is fucking dope. And I love that. Cause I think he brings a cool, fresh perspective, very smart perspective as well. So I guess that's my favorite moment is between that and Lucas Giolito, no hitter. Steve is you fucking joining the, uh, Making us a four-man band instead of a three-man. We're no longer Rush. We're now Led Zeppelin. Which Led Zeppelin's better? Flex. <laughs> Steve, go ahead. You stole my thunder again, Boz. God damn it. Um, I can't. I can't just pick one one specific moment here. You know the the fact that I got the opportunity to come on here with with everybody and and talk about the one sports team that means more to me than any other one and, and to be able to do it on a consistent basis and to be able to bullshit and, and make all the stupid little jokes that that we do and and you know buzz putting together that nwo gif with all of our heads you know superimposed on, on everybody right there i mean this was this was one of the most fun seasons of baseball i've had in a really long time and to be able to do that with, with you guys and just to laugh and, and, like I said, just do the goofy shit that we've done this year. You know, I'm always going to look back on this season and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smile about it because, I mean, it has just been so much fun for me. And, you know, it's, it's because you guys allowed me to come in here and be a part of that. So I can't pick just one. Yeah, I love it. And Steve, it's been great having you on here. So I can definitely pile on with that. Um, it can be a three-parter here for us uh, for favorite moments, definitely just in general. Um, specific one, Steve, I really liked our episode, um, Straw That Stirs the Drink. Um, that one, first of all, did pretty well listens-wise. Uh, you came up with that kind of uh, you know descriptor for it as we were uh, on a roll. Sometimes we have premeditated uh, show episode ideas. I told them before we started, um, and I said, hey, I don't have one yet, so let me know if you think of anything and boom it came to life on the air and it's just kind of a um it, it was really kind of a culmination of how uh we've become a cohesive unit um over the time you know getting more comfortable uh having these conversations with each other and uh everybody chipping in and making this what it is so that was definitely one of my just specific if i were to narrow it down favorite episodes other than that though all the times that we've gotten to meet up um you know whether it be in tony's garage um you know for a big game or just uh hanging out uh, casually whatever it doesn't matter I, I like the cohesion that we have it's been a lot of fun um and uh you know and just kind of uh utilizing the uh, Twitter account to kind of boost the personalities too. Um, I think that's been great and it's taken a step forward. Uh, like Steve, your kind of thing like the other night when the uh, singer of your love uh, passed away, that, that kind of tweet, it's, it's another outlet to help us get these, uh, you know, 
kind of our personalities out there to Sox fans because uh, we're, we're just like you. Uh, we're here to, we love the team so much and we just kind of have a drive to go and talk about it uh, after every single game. And obviously um, whenever we can in the off season, when there's something that comes up. So um, that's, you know, kind of my sentimental uh, look back on this for Sox on tap, the 2020 season. Um, it's been an excellent time and uh, many more to come and much more winning to come gentlemen. So uh, really looking forward to it. So um Guys, that was it. That does it for our Socks on Tap sentiments. Uh, I think we wanted to hit really quick uh, before we wrap this thing up. Uh, the manager search. Obviously, that's a big topic going on. The main topic today was Socks on Tap, tap 2020 season reflection. That's in the rearview mirror. We can look behind it. Now we're looking ahead. Uh, we've got the new manager coming up here. Decision uh, that is going to be made. Just couple news blips on this, then I'll hand it over to you guys like I normally do. According to Bruce Levine, so take this with what you will, knowing that, uh, Sox interviewed Larusa and a few other candidates, sources said, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers right now, um, and he also said, in air quotes once again, they are hoping to name their new manager in the next 10 days to two weeks. That article was published on uh excuse me, on Wednesday, um, October 21st. So um, we did a roundtable article on this, guys, but um, and Buzz kind of asked us to put our thoughts on who we want, who we think it will be. Um, so let's elaborate on that a little bit here um, to supplement uh, to that article. Buzz, go ahead and start us off. Don't want to give too much of the article away because I that was um, I think that was our first Socks on Tap collaboration article. And I think it was, you know, just yeah, like at least said, with all four of us, me and Tony, all, have just us two, but just all four right, of us with all four of us. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. I meant with all four of us. Um, and it's, it's pretty cool. I, I love when things like that come together that we can not only, you know, talk our thoughts on our podcast, but we can put it on our very own website uh, for people to come read, but for just to keep it short and simple before we move on, um, I picked who I think it's going to be. I thought it was going to be Hinch and you can read why over at on and then who I want it to be was Alex Cora. And for those reasons, you can find that over at ontapsportsnet.com. And, and piggybacking off, off a of buzz there. So my pick who I would like it to see is AJ Hinch. And I can't believe I'm going to say this in the year of 2020. I think it's going to be Tony LaRusso. And to put this into context, Tony LaRusso was managing the White Sox when I was born in 1984. Think about wow. this. Wow. Yeah, no, it's wild. Wow. Yeah. Like you can read more about that. Uh, Steve elaborated on that pretty well, and it is pretty funny uh, as well as, you know, kind of uh, giving as much analysis as we can. We try to let the personality shine through, too. Buzz, uh, for mine, I told you uh, when you, you proposed this, and you said, would you guys want to do this? And I responded to you, what'd I say? My take was pretty vanilla. And it is. It is. Who do I want? I want A.J. Hinch. Who do I think it's going to be? I think it's going to be A.J. Hinch. I think the White Sox pull the trigger, make the correct move. It lines up exactly with what Han said. I kind of touched on that in the article, too. Um, people are forgetting. People are forgetting right now as we're recording this. It is Thursday, October 22nd in the evening. There's only been two games of the World Series played. Obviously not decided yet. But do you know what that means for the White Sox manager search? A.J. Hinch is still banished from baseball as of right now. Not allowed. So when the offseason officially starts, wait until that happens before you go put way too much stake into this Larusa stuff. And you know what? Maybe Steve's right. Maybe it does end up happening. But I think they're at least going to give him a shake and interview him 
and they're going to let that play out and make that decision after the World Series conclude in that week or so after that. So just wait until that happens. That's just all I got to say on the manager search. Uh, but like I said, like Buzz said, you can go and read all of that, uh, our roundtable article uh, on tapsportscent.com. So, um, gentlemen, it's been a great uh, time uh, reflecting on the 2020 season, talking a little manager stuff with you guys here. Let's give our final season shout outs uh, for socks on tap. You know, we like to do these at the end of every episode um, kind of overarching. I think there are a ton of names that can be, you know, they've been named multiple times and I'm sure they'll come up here, but uh, let's hear them. Hey, if you guys got them, I, I got two. Um, I'm going to try not to make it or, you know, into three or four or five. I really want to put these two down because I, I, I truly does. I think that these people deserve more followers for their insight. That is going to be new as of like one day. Uh, Socks on tap contributor on tap sports net contributor socks insights. Josh, I think he deserves uh, a shout out here. So he's, he's a shout out for me. And obviously we're going to be doing some off season episodes with more shout outs. So um, I'm going to shout him out real quick. And then I'm go- also going to shout out a guy that has fantastic baseball takes, White Sox takes that should have more followers too. And that's Jordan Miller. And I've shouted him out like a million times last season, this season, whatever. But Jordan Miller should have more fucking follow. He <laughs> People should follow him. He's taught me. I mean, I text him here and there about baseball shit. Dude is super smart, funny as fuck. Those are my two socks on tap shout outs today. It's Jordan Miller and uh, brand new. Socks on tap contributor to on tap sports net socks insights, Josh. Good ones. Buzz Steve. Go ahead. All right. I got two of them as well. Um, friend of the show, white Sox Sal. Oh, I love um, Sal. Sal, Cold life. Know, Sal. Listen, Sal's a big wrestling guy. So, you know, he, he would always get in on the uh, DDP gifts on, on days when, uh, when Keiko would be pitching. And, you know, when I would bust out that Scott Hall, one more for the good guys gift after the postgame winner, he was always right there following up with some other NWO gift. And my second shout-out is going to be from my guy Ryan over at Iowa White Sox. Oh, I just found this out recently from talking to him. He is a fellow former South Suburban College Bulldog like myself. Bulldog Pride Baby represent for Coach Ruzich. Got to give him some love. Hell yeah. Love those shout outs. And obviously we have a bunch that we've put out over the year. Um, but I, I want to two guys that um, they came into my mentions and this is how I found them. And my mentions and socks on tap mentions um, this year and just had some good baseball conversation. And uh, that would be hangry FC at oh. Hall 02 and then Han Jr. at Hans underscore Burner. Both of those guys, uh, they've been complimentary of the podcast, not just picking them because of that. But Hangry, at the beginning of the season, he was you know kind of like, oh, give Mazzara a chance. And then he eventually came around after he <laughs> knew he wasn't happening. And he's like, you were damn right. And I was like, not like I said, not shouting him out because I'm right. But we also had some conversations. He's mentioned me about some Hawk stuff as well. But just a good follow in general. And it's nice when you can have a good conversation with someone that you, you first of all, don't even know if it weren't for this. And then second of all, it can be intelligent and fun conversation, too. We like to have fun here at Sex on Tap. And then Hans Berner, uh, he had shouted us, one, shouted us out one time on Twitter and said that, you know, uh, this is the most relatable podcast. And we really appreciate that because that's what we try to bring here. So uh, Hans Junior, that's at Hans underscore Burner. Um, we appreciate you too. Those are my two socks on tap season shout outs, new acquaintances that I had made during the season. So that about wraps it up, gentlemen. Buzz, I know you got to get going here. So why don't you lead us out? I did want to say, Nani, those two were absolutely fantastic because I, I actually had a lot of conversation with them too. And uh, Steve, yours were ap- absolutely fantastic as well. I love those Iowa guys. I love the I want to talk sports guys across the board. 
Uh, I think they're great people. But uh, yes, we will leave that out. This was a fun episode, man. I'm really glad that we guys we got to do this together. I I miss you guys. You know, I haven't got to see you guys in a long time, so it's really awesome to have these conversations. Um, you know, now that the baby's getting older, hopefully we can get together in person now. Um, you know, because the doctor's recommended six weeks is now up, so hopefully we can get together in person, have a couple drinks, and maybe watch a World Series game. I don't know. But everybody, be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. Following us on Twitter at SoxOnTap, at ontapsportsnet. Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. So be sure you give us a five-star rating and review because that shit is cool and tough. We'll be back when we're back, and hopefully it's not just us. By us, I mean me, Johnny, and Steve. But hopefully we have Tony, our other long-lost brother, here on the show with us next time. But that's all I got, man. White Sox forever. Are you a sports card collector? Are you looking to buy or sell your vintage cards? If so, contact Josh over at Midwest Vintage Cards. With over 25 years of experience in the field, Midwest Vintage Cards will pay you cash for your collection. Check out their eBay store by searching Midwest Vintage Cards or follow them on Instagram at Midwest Vintage Cards. Contact Josh at 847-602-8604 or email him at josh at MidwestVintageCards.com to get your quote today.